Well, last week, we had a guest speaker, Pastor Dan McLaughlin, and he talked to us about the promise of rest that Jesus gives to us in Matthew chapter 11. Jesus said, come to me if you're weary and you're tired and you're burned out and your religious efforts are getting you nowhere. Come to me and find rest, rest for your souls. What a beautiful promise, and he did a wonderful job teaching that text to us last week. Well, this morning, we're in the very next passage. We're in Matthew chapter 12. And Matthew does something brilliant here. He builds off of Jesus' invitation to find rest, and he tells two stories that happened on the Sabbath. The Sabbath was a day that was set aside for rest. And uh, when I was growing up, when I was like six, seven years old, we lived in Missouri, Springfield, Missouri, and my mom and dad were pastoring a church in Manus, Missouri. We lived in Springfield, but they pastored a church in Manus, Missouri, which was about a 70-minute, 70-mile-something-like-that drive. I was five years old. I don't remember very well. But what I do remember is this. This was pre-seatbelt laws, by the way. <laughs> when you hear this story, don't, don't, don't accuse my mom and dad of hurting us. Uh, they throw us in the back of this brown uh, Dodge van or something, and there were no seats back there. It was just like carpeted, like just completely carpeted. And we would just sit back there, and for 70 miles or however long it was, we would just bounce around back there, windy roads and hilly roads. And I remember every Sunday on the way to church, we would throw up <laughs> in the back of that van. That's my earliest memories of Sabbath. It's a miracle I don't have Sabbath trauma, right? Uh, but the Sabbath is an interesting concept because it's, I think it's a misunderstood one. And, and what Matthew does here in Matthew chapter 12 is he's helping us understand that the rest that Jesus wants us to have is different than maybe we think. And that the Sabbath is maybe different than what we think it is. And so we're going to look at two stories in Matthew 12 beginning in verse 1. It says this, at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to Jesus, look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful or not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And Jesus said to them, have you not read what David did? He's referencing King David in the Old Testament. Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the temple and they are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath." He went on from there and entered their synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked Jesus, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? They're trying to trap Jesus. He said to them, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against Jesus how to destroy him. There's three things that we're going to learn about the Sabbath this morning, that the Sabbath can become a burden, that the Sabbath can become a blessing, and that the Sabbath became a person. So let's talk about how when Sabbath becomes a burden. 
So the Sabbath was not just a ceremonial regulation for the Israelites. The Jewish people very faithfully practiced Sabbath. And for the Jewish people, Sabbath was from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday. And they would take a break from all of their work and they would devote that time really to very specifically to spiritual practices. But Sabbath was not just a regulation for the people of Israel because Sabbath was not established on Mount Sinai. Sabbath was established in Genesis Genesis chapter 2 in the creation account where God on the seventh day rests from his work. Sabbath was a special sign uh, or a sign of Israel's special covenant with God, a gift from God to make Israel holy, different, and unlike all the other nations who never stopped from their work but were slaves to their work and worked the fields nonstop for maximum benefit. But God said, you're not going to be like those nations. You're going to rest because I rested. The Sabbath was given as a promise of the joys that are going to be found in the world to come, the rest that will be found in the new heavens and the new earth, even while we continue to do meaningful work. The Sabbath was a blessing, not a burden. But at this time in history, when Jesus is walking the earth, the Sabbath was not a blessing to many Jews. It was actually quite a burden. The the, the promised rest had actually become a weary work, and they were worn out by the Sabbath. And if you read the Gospels, Jesus and the Pharisees are always going head-to-head about the Sabbath. And I want us to notice that Jesus is not challenging the Sabbath law itself. He's not trying to do away with the Sabbath law. What he's challenging is the way that the Pharisees are interpreting this law. Jesus does and says nothing in these stories or anywhere in the gospel to undermine the importance of the Sabbath. What Jesus is concerned with is the heart of the Sabbath and how it's being practiced and lived out by those who are faithful to God. The fourth commandment on Mount Sinai, which is where we think of the Sabbath, is where God in his Ten Commandments says, honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. And in that commandment, he instructs them to not work, that there should be not working. However, God does not define what not working looks like. And so that vagueness presented both a problem and an opportunity to the legalists, to the Pharisees. And here's what they thought. Well, If God's not going to be more specific than that, then it must be on us. (laughs) We'll help God out. We'll add our own specifications, and we will carefully clarify what constitutes work. Now, in the Old Testament, there's 613 commands. Some of them are things you should do, and some of them are things you should not do. But by the time these stories happen in Matthew chapter 12, the Pharisees have added 1,500 plus more commands to those 613 all in an attempt to draw lines and define who was in and who was out. John MacArthur gives a list of some of the absurd laws that they had to follow. For example, in this time, on the Sabbath, you could wear a jacket, but you could not carry that jacket. So God forbid it gets warmer during the day and you want to shed that jacket. You couldn't do it. You had to wear it. You had to sweat all day long because if you took that jacket off and you carried it, you were doing work and you were breaking the Sabbath. Tailors in these days would not carry needles with them on the Sabbath for fear that they might be tempted to mend a garment and thereby perform work. Same reason I don't carry a fork with me, all the temptations out there. (laughs) Baths could not be taken on the Sabbath, not because the bath was a work, but because some water might spill out of the bath onto dirty floor that needed to be washed, and it might wash it. And that would be considered work, and then you broke the Sabbath. Chairs could not be moved on the Sabbath because dragging them through the ground might make a furrow in the ground, and a seed might accidentally fall into that furrow. And then you would be working the fields and harvesting, 
and you would break the Sabbath. A woman was not to look into a mirror on the Sabbath lest she see a gray hair and be tempted to pull it out. These were real commandments that they had added. And at the heart of this is a word that probably you've heard before, the the word legalism. And I want to give us some understanding on what legalism is. Because legalism is not honoring. I mean, some people think, well, if you obey God, that's legalistic. No, legalism and obedience to God are, are not the same thing. We need to obey God. Legalism is something different. What is legalism? Legalism is following rules, whether they're God's rules or man-made rules. It really doesn't matter. Legalism is following any set of rules as a means of saving yourself, proving yourself, or showing yourself to be superior to other people. Legalism is when we follow rules, even God's rules, to save ourselves, prove ourselves, or show ourselves to be better than others. Legalism is when we are blinded by the law while we cannot see the lawgiver. Legalism is rules without relationship. Legalism robs the Sabbath of its intended purpose, which is to take joy and have restoration in creation and the creator. Legalism reduces the life-giving gift of the Sabbath to a rule-keeping burden. And the Pharisees were really good at this. Now, when you look back into this story, you have to ask the question, were the disciples actually doing work? What's happening here? There was an Old Testament law that God had given to the Jewish people that he said to them, when you have a field and you harvest your field, leave the outer parts of the field and the corners of the field unharvested. In other words, don't squeeze every inch of produce out of your harvest like someone greedy would. Rather, intentionally leave extras around the outside. Why? For people who fall into the categories of the poor, hungry, foreigners, orphans, and widows. People who, by no fault of their own, could not produce and harvest their own food. So we see God's heart for people being manifested. So this is what's happening. The disciples and Jesus are walking through a grain field on the Sabbath, and there's extra, and the disciples are poor. Really, Jesus was poor his entire life. He was never a wealthy man. And so they are taking advantage, so to speak, of this Old Testament law, and they're grabbing heads of grain, and all they're doing is rubbing the, grains, uh, the heads of grains in their hands kind of like this, and what it does is it would separate the chaff and the grain so that what they could eat is just things that would be good for nutrition and good for their bodies. They weren't working the fields. This was not a source of financial support for them. They were not harvesting this stuff and selling it to other people to make money. They were just meeting their natural hunger needs, and the Pharisees were like, oh, no, 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 you're breaking the Sabbath. What about Jesus? Did he do work when he healed the man? If you study Jesus' healings, sometimes he would, you know, he did some weird things. Sometimes he made mud and he put it in a blind guy's eyes. Sometimes he would lay his hands on somebody and pray for them. But in this story, he does next to nothing. He just simply says, stretch out your hand. Four words. The Pharisees just got done saying eight words. They said twice as much as Jesus said, and yet they were accusing him of doing a work. And you could see that the Sabbath law had become a burden because the Pharisaical approach to the Sabbath law is this. How do we measure it? How do we quantify it? How do we determine who's in and who's out? But the Christian's heart to the Sabbath is this. What does the gift of the Sabbath reveal about God's heart for you and me? That God would give us his people this Sabbath. What does it show about his desires for us and what he knows to be best for us? That's why Jesus said, he quoted from the Old Testament, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Sacrifice 
summarized like fastidious and meticulous observance of religious rituals, following all the rules perfectly. But more important to God was mercy, which is steadfast love, which would have led the Pharisees to care for hungry people like the disciples, uh, a crippled man like the man, and sinners like Jesus did. The Sabbath invites us not into the burden of trying to keep rules to prove something or earn something. It invites us to love people and love helping people more than following rules. The Pharisees had made it a burden by adding to the requirements of the law, ignoring the exceptions of the law, and they were missing the heart of the law. The Sabbath had become a burden. Second thing I want us to see this morning from this text is that Sabbath can become a blessing. So at this point, you might go, well, yeah, that's, that's see, Sabbath is not for us. That's an Old Testament thing. It was for the people of Israel. But you can't ignore the Sabbath and just say it was an Old Testament thing because there's a lot about the Sabbath in the New Testament. Paul actually writes quite a bit about observing the Sabbath. And when he writes about it, he does want them to know who you worship is more important than when you worship and why you worship is more important than when you worship, right? So who and why supersede when. Don't get hung up Saturday mornings. You know, churches grow sometimes. If Trinity continues to grow, we may eventually have to do a Saturday night service. It's okay. Like, it's fine. It's not when we worship, it's who we worship, and it's why we worship. That's Paul's point. But notice, Paul never says, stop observing the Sabbath. He never says, stop setting aside a day. And Jesus himself does not do away with the Sabbath. In fact, he calls himself the Lord of the Sabbath. No one's going to make themselves the Lord of something that is obsolete, that is pointless, that is useless, that has no purpose for us any longer. So when Jesus calls himself the Lord of the Sabbath, he is putting extra weight on the intentions and the blessing of the Sabbath. And Sabbath, as I mentioned earlier, is not just something that was given to the Israelites through the Ten Commandments, but Sabbath was instituted in creation. It's in the very rhythm of creation. Genesis 2 Chapter, or chapter 2, 1 through 3 says, The heavens and the earth will, were completed. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, what did God do? He rested from his work. God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. You and I have been created in the image of a God who chose to rest from his work. And so there's a blessing when we choose to rest from our work. Sabbath is a gift from God to his people. And I'm telling you this morning, Sabbath is a gift to you. Now I wanna talk about two blessings that we get from the Sabbath. And the first one is this, the blessing of the right authority, that we have the right authority in our lives. This story that Jesus referenced about David eating this bread that had been set aside for worship. This was a, there were 12 loaves of bread that were baked every, before every Sabbath, and they were presented in the tabernacle as an offering. And these 12 loaves of bread represented God's covenant with the 12 tribes of Israel. And these, bread, these pieces of bread, were, were, they were sacred, set apart, only to be eaten by the priests, never to be eaten by anyone else, even a king like David. But David comes in with his men. They're being pursued by King Saul. He's trying to kill David and his men. They're on the run. They can't find food. They're starving. They go into this place, and they help themselves to these 12 loaves of bread, this sacred bread. And what's remarkable is this. The Old Testament never condemns him for doing it, and neither does the New Testament. In fact, the Jewish people, including these Pharisees, I mean, especially these Pharisees, because they were experts in the law, they knew this story about David and his men eating this bread, and they themselves were okay with it. And I want you to understand that the reason that they were okay with this story was not because David's men were hungry. They were okay with this story because of who David was. 
David, this authority, this king, this, this person who loomed so large in the history of Israel. And so Jesus brings this story up to make this point. He says, hey, you're okay with this because of who David is, but do you know who I am? <laughs> I'm greater than David. I'm the true and better David. David was a wonderful king, but we also know David had many flaws. Jesus was the perfect king. So Jesus is claiming the authority as Lord of the Sabbath, that he has the authority in our lives to invite us into rest and to even say to his disciples, help yourself to some grain. When the fourth commandment was given to the Israelites in the wilderness, given to Moses on Mount Sinai, you have to remember that they had just spent the previous 400 years of their existence as a people in Egyptian slavery. And so when Jesus in his fourth command says, honor the Sabbath, keep it holy as a day of rest to not work, here's what it was. It was a constant, powerful reminder that they were no longer slaves. What a gift. Slaves don't get to choose when they rest. Slaves really don't get to rest. But God had liberated his people from 400 years of bondage in Egypt. And in Deuteronomy 5, 12 through 15, God ties the Sabbath to the idea of freedom from slavery. And so the Sabbath for the Jewish people was a regular and visible way of remembering and celebrating and declaring their freedom. Every time they Sabbath, that was their way of saying, we're no longer in Egypt. We're no longer slaves. They could Sabbath because God had delivered them from their taskmasters. taskmasters. So what does this mean thousands of years later for you and for me? Well, Christians have been also delivered from some taskmasters and from things that we've been enslaved to, things that we would serve. Jesus said elsewhere in the Gospels, no one serves two masters. In that context, he's talking about serving God or serving money and wealth. But really, there's this theme throughout all the scripture that everyone serves something. Everyone, Bob Dylan's saying it, right? Everyone serves the master. You have to serve something and someone. And what we see here from this Sabbath truth is this, that anyone who overworks is actually a slave. Anyone who cannot Sabbath, cannot rest, is living in slavery. Anyone who cannot rest from their work, walk away from their work, is a slave. Maybe, maybe you're enslaved to the need for success, and so your need for success and to have a certain title in front of your name and to sit in a certain office and to climb the corporate ladder, you're enslaved to it and you can't walk away from work. Maybe you're enslaved to the material goods and the good life that the money provides for you that you work so hard for. Maybe you're a slave to pleasing your employers. You're a people pleaser and so you work so hard because you don't want to let your boss down or the people around you down. Maybe you're enslaved to parental expectations and that can work both ways. Some people work hard because they say, I'm never going to be like my parents. And some people work hard because they want to be like their parents. Either way, there are things that we are enslaved to. There's a, Netflix has this wonderful food documentary called Chef's Table. And in each episode, it follows a, uh, one of the best chefs in the world. And I think it was season one, maybe season two, they, they did uh, an episode on a restaurant in New York. It's actually down in the Hudson Valley, and the chef's name is Dan Barber, and it's called Blue Hill Farm. And I was so excited because most of these chefs are like somewhere else, like they're in Japan or, or even as far, you know, even close, but still like Chicago, places I can't go to at any point easily. And I was like, wow, there's a place in New York that's, this chef is one of the best chefs in the world. I was super excited to go. And then I went on his website and I was like, oh, wow, 250 bucks for dinner. <laughs> Maybe another time. Um, but in his episode, he, he actually, it was interesting, he called himself a slave to cooking, a slave to cooking. 
And this is what he said. This is an exact quote from the episode. He said, one of the reasons I am a slave to cooking, I am still trying to fill the void of losing my mom. He lost his mom when he was young. And he said, when someone comes to eat at my table, it's like I'm still trying to get my mom back to the table. He said, but isn't that life? Isn't life just trying to fill one void after another? Why do you work? Why do you work so hard? Why can't you walk away from your work? Why are you possibly a slave? What are you looking for? What are you trying to get to the table? Is it meaning, purpose? Are you trying to prove something to someone? But whatever those things are, they actually become our masters. And those masters will abuse us if we are not disciplined in the practice of Sabbath rest. Sabbath is a declaration of freedom. And so when you set aside a day every week to rest from the work that you rely upon for provision, it's your way of saying, I do not serve work. I do not serve what work brings to me or does for me. I serve a God who invites me to rest. Sabbath is about way more than external rest for our body, which we need. I don't even need the scriptures to prove that point. Medicine will tell you how much you need external rest. But Sabbath is actually about the rest that Jesus talked about in Matthew 11, rest for our souls. Rest from the anxiety and strain of our overworking, which is really an attempt to prove ourselves or protect ourselves, to gain money, status, or reputation. So Sabbath was about this question to the Jewish people in the, in the, in the wilderness. Who do you ultimately trust in to provide for you? Leave the land alone every week for a day. Take your hands off of it. It was a disciplined and faithful way for the Israelites to remember that they are not the ones who keep the world running. And for some of you, Sabbath is important because it's a way that you remind yourself every week, I'm not the one who keeps the world running. And even when my hands are not at work, God, your hands are at work. And if we cannot Sabbath, if we can't walk away, then there's something we're holding on to with both of our hands because we're not really trusting God. Tim Keller, the New York City pastor, says it this way. He says, there is a work underneath all of our work that we really need rest from. For almost all of us, unless God comes into our lives, we're working and we're doing things to prove ourselves, to convince God, others, and ourselves that we are good people, maybe smart people, important people. And that work is never over unless we rest in the gospel. So Sabbath is a blessing because it causes us to bear God's image well. We were like God when we Sabbath, but also it's a powerful declaration. I'm not in Egypt anymore. I'm not enslaved anymore. I've been let out of Egypt, and I serve a God who invites me to rest. So here's a question to wrestle with this week. What am I looking for in all my work, in all of my working, that I might not be trusting God for? What am I looking to my work to give to me that really Christ has already provided for me? The blessing of his authority. Secondly here, the blessing of the right priorities. I'm gonna be quick here, but Jesus talks about this temple, right? And it's, it's a weird verse. He says that the workers in the temple, the priests, profaned the Sabbath by working the temple. And what he's saying is this, is that on a day where no Jews were supposed to work, the priests had to work. Because they had to do the work of the temple. They had to teach and pray and slaughter animals. That was their job. And here's what Jesus is teaching us. That the temple had priority over the law. That even though the law said not to work, the needs of the temple to worship God and to help others encounter and worship God was actually more important. 
And so the pre-service demonstrates that worship takes priority over rest. Now here's what Jesus is saying, and he says it literally in this passage. There is something greater than the temple here in front of you. And if the temple could redefine priorities and the reach of the law, then how much more can Jesus? And what Jesus is saying here, if you have the right priorities, you'll realize that keeping the rules never excuses you from helping another person in need. Jesus says, you're going to help your sheep out of a ditch. This is a man who's been crippled for years. I'm not supposed to help him because of your rules? And Jesus is saying, if the temple could change the priorities for the priests so that they worked on the Sabbath, then Jesus, the true and better temple, could come and say, I have a new commandment I give to you. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love one another as you love yourself. This doesn't mean that we can completely set aside the Sabbath. We've already talked about that. But what it does mean is that whenever the tendencies of these rules hinder our basic concern for what Scripture has to say about mercy, justice, and kindness, then the rules are no longer a help, they're a hindrance. And the Lord invites us to set them aside. Here's the question that we have to ask ourselves about this. Is there any rule that I try very hard to keep as a Christian that is actually preventing me from loving people? and serving people well. The Sabbath gives us the blessing of the right authority. We're under God, no longer slaves. The blessing of the right priorities to use the Sabbath to serve and bless one another. And then lastly this morning as Pastor Antonia comes, when the Sabbath becomes a burden, when the Sabbath becomes a blessing, but let's talk about the best part, when Sabbath became a person. So the story ends and it says that the Pharisees go out and they want to kill Jesus. Now why? I mean, this doesn't it feel a little bit dramatic? <laughs> It's like, he, you know, he healed a guy with a withered hand. He let his disciples eat some grain, and all of a sudden you want to kill him? It's like kind of like escalated quickly, right? What's happening here? Well, it's not super clear to us, but it was super clear to the Pharisees. Jesus did some things here that really set them off. First off, we already said it, he claimed greater authority than King David had. And then he claimed the right to establish kingdom priorities and that he was greater than the temple. But the real bomb that Jesus drops here is when he wraps up his argument with this. Let me be absolutely clear. I can say what I'm saying about the Sabbath. Why? Because the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. And that was the phrase that set the Pharisees off. Is Jesus equal with David? Yes. Well, actually, no, because he's greater than David. Is Jesus equal with the temple? Yes. Well, no, he's greater than the temple. Well, then who does he think he is? And he makes it clear. He is the Son of Man. Now, the Son of Man is an innocent-sounding title, right? Like, no big deal. It actually makes him sound very human. But this was an unmistakable reference to the divine king that's prophesied about in the seventh chapter of the book of Daniel when the Son of Man is presented before God and given the authority and strength and rule to reign. And so when Jesus says that he is the Son of Man, he is saying, I am the Messiah, the king that you've been waiting for, the one that's been promised, I'm here, I'm the greater David, I'm the greater temple, I'm the son of man, I'm the Lord of Sabbath, I am the greater Sabbath. Here's what he's saying, Sabbath has become a person. And the rest you've been looking for is not in law keeping, but it's in a relationship with me. The author of Hebrews says it this way, chapter four, verses nine and 10, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. There is a Sabbath rest that's greater than even the Sabbath law. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his work as God did from his. Now I want you to, I want you to think about this. Whoever has entered God's rest, the rest that is found in Jesus, has rested from his work 
as God rested from his. Now, how did God rest from his work? And to know this, we have to go back to Genesis 2. Remember? God rests on the seventh day. Well, why did God rest? I rest when I'm tired, which as I get older is more frequently. I rest after a couple minutes of yard work, right? I, I, I rest when I'm exhausted, when I'm spent. But we know that God doesn't get tired and weary. So why did God rest on the seventh day? It's not because he was tired. He rested because he was satisfied. He was satisfied with his work. He looked at it and he says, it's good. In fact, it's very good when he looked at those that he had made in his image. So God works in creation and then he sits down and he rests. Jesus comes, our true Sabbath, and Jesus has a work to do too. But you know what Jesus' work was? Not creation, but recreation. He had to make things new again. So Jesus comes to recreate, and he finishes his work. In fact, on the cross, one of the last things Jesus says is, it is finished. Jesus finishes his work, and then what happens? How does the story go? Jesus is buried. He's resurrected on the third day. Forty days he appears to over 500 people, the resurrected Christ. Then he ascends to the Father. And according to Mark 16, 19 and Hebrew 10, 12, you know what Jesus did when he got to the Father? He sat down. He rested because he was tired. He said, ooh, took a lot out of me dying for the sins of the world. He rested because he was satisfied. He knew that his work was complete. And you and I can't add to his work by keeping the Sabbath. You and I can't add to his work by anything that we do. What we do is we receive his work and we sense this truth that God is satisfied in Christ's work on our behalf. So what does this mean? Avoiding overwork requires deep rest in Christ's finished work for your salvation. Only once you receive Christ's finished work on your behalf will you be able to walk away regularly, regularly from your vocational work. You can't rightly carry out the spiritual discipline of Sabbath if you're not resting in your true Sabbath. In fact, you can't even be a Christian unless you rest in Christ's work and not your own. You try to rest in your own work, you're far from Christ. You rest in Christ's work, you're with him, you're in him. Listen, last thing I wanna say, there's so many reasons to gather like this on a Sunday. Maybe when you thought, oh, we're learning about Sabbath, we're gonna get beat over the head with why we should be here every single Sunday. I, there's so many reasons why I think people should be here. It's the costliness that it takes to get here, right? There's effort that takes, and that's important. It's the opportunity to serve and bless others and use your gifts. We need each other's gifts to encourage each other. It's the opportunity to remind our hearts of gospel truth through the songs that we sing. It's to submit ourselves to the formative challenges, yes, the challenges of being in a community of people that you didn't hand select. You didn't decide who else showed up this morning. It's the advantages of hearing God's word and being taught from the scriptures to receive prayer and community, to celebrate communion together, to celebrate water baptism, and to demonstrate your priorities to yourself and to your family. Listen, parents, what you consider optional, your children will think is unimportant. And so there's a lot of good reasons to be here, but let me say this, even going to church can be a work. You can be, if you're coming to church to prove to God that he should save you, or if you're going to church because you think it's gonna save you, or if you're going to church because it makes you better than the people who don't go to church, then even your attempt to Sabbath is a work. And that's why we need to rest in the Sabbath that's found in Jesus. And out of that, we will gather like this, but not to prove something or earn something, but simply because we found the rest of God. And we wanna gather with people to celebrate that rest. Jesus is our true Sabbath. So we have confidence to rest in a God who had confidence to rest in his work. And in fact, his spirit, his spirit, now rest in those who will rest in him, our true Sabbath. Let's pray together.